0: This is Conducting Business. I'm Naomi Lewin. If you look at the websites and social media feeds of orchestras, music festivals, and concert series, you might notice a common theme, youth and sex appeal, especially when it comes to soloists. But it's more specific than that. Alluring young female violinists are everywhere, and rugged male conductors and guitarists with artfully groomed stubble aren't far behind. They may well be accomplished performers, but it does make you wonder if there's also room for less attractive artists. We have three guests with us today, including two Jessicas. You'll be able to tell them apart by their accents. Jessica Duchesne is a classical music and dance journalist for London's independent newspaper. Also other publications, she's on the line. Jessica Hadler here in the studio is the director of artists' programs at Concert Artists Guild a management firm that guides the careers of young artists. And Andrew Owsley, also here in the studio, is formerly of Warner Classics. He's now the head of Unison Media, a marketing and promotion company for classical musicians. Jessica Duchenne on the phone from England, I'm going to start with you. What accounts for the increase in pretty young female violinists, do you think?
1: I think it's been going on for a while. It's really, I would say, several fold. Firstly, we live in a very, very visual society. And obviously, classical music is is an orally-based art. So it's at a disadvantage in that sense. And ever since record companies decided that classical music had to make itself more commercial, the visual side has increased in value, while the oral side has perhaps, We'll never know how much it suffered, but it has suffered a little bit.
0: And by oral, you mean A U R A L. Exactly,
1: exactly. Or so, in
0: hearing. So, do you think less attractive violinists, dowdier people, are being
1: excluded deliberately? Well, it's very difficult to tell because we don't get to hear about them. What I do get to hear about is the less attractive violinists and indeed other types of string players who are attempting to uh, build careers in orchestras and as freelance musicians. I recently interviewed a cellist who told me that she thinks this problem goes back as far as music college and that the less attractive string players are not even getting into music colleges. Wow. Um, I find this really quite a disturbing thought. Uh,
2: Jessica, I I would actually... Slightly disagree with the statement that record labels, or at least the idea that record labels still are marketing classical music musicians only on their, their sex appeal or visual presentation. I would definitely agree that that has been a major tactic in the past. But that's also speaking from the U.S. market versus the U.K. market, where in the U.S., I think we've gone through a, a fragmentation of media for classical that, that the U.K., and Europe have still not gone through to the extent that we have, not to mention the entire destruction of the distribution system and retail and so on. And I obviously just left. But to me, up to the very end of my experience at Warner, it seems like it was beginning to move past that sort of hype phase of marketing and promotion, in which you could just say, oh, here's a really attractive artist, you guys should care about this person and buy their records. And now it seems like it's beginning to move more towards word of mouth where you can't just tell people what to think and then they respond, but rather where you present a more multidimensional image of an artist. So
0: no more Vanessa Mays,
2: you're saying? (laughs) Certainly not. uh, There's not the financial viability to make another Vanessa May in the way that there was back in the day.
0: Jessica Hather, you work
2: with a lot of young musicians who are just starting their careers.
0: I do. Do you think presenters are more eager to hire young, attractive soloists? Or are there just more of them around being weeded out by colleges? I think
3: it certainly helps. And I I think it helps. But to something that Andrew said a minute ago, I do think it's more than just sex appeal and just, you know, being attractive and having a personality, having a point of view, having something unique about them to put out there, I think can be just as as valuable.
0: Do you also give them tips on grooming and styling? (laughs) Absolutely. Both for the
3: concert stage and for photo sessions and um, marketing materials, videos, all of these things are so important. And yeah, I mean, they do need to look good.
0: (laughs) Jessica Duchenne, a few years back, you wrote that young female musicians are in a double bind because the people who are responsible for packaging and selling them doll them up to look sexy, and then they can get some pushback, criticism from folks who think that their style is overruling their substance.
1: Should they play in a
0: paper bag? (laughs)
1: Well, no, I mean, I I don't think that that anyone's going going to make it. I hope that nobody's going to make anybody play in a paper bag, but I I do think that double bind exists. I think it can be quite difficult for young female musicians who do look good to actually prove that they are not being promoted for their looks primarily. The, The redeeming thing here is that actually great violin playing is really difficult to fake, I mean, you just... It's such a difficult instrument in the first place. And if you don't sound good, everybody knows about it right away. So this is the the positive thing. And um, just thinking about the young female violinists we have in Britain at the moment, there are very few who, I would say, are having to trade on their looks. I think most of them are getting through because they are fabulous musicians. And really, the... Some of them go out of their way to perhaps have arty photos, but not sexy photos and not sexy dresses. So they look stunning, but they look stunning in, in an artistic way rather than a, an overtly sort of soft focus kind of impression.
0: Well, you've got a very attractive lineup for this year's BBC Proms concert. Leila Josephowitz, Julia Fisher, Nicola Benedetti... You know, they're all oh, absolutely
1: in. yes. They're, they're all they're, they all look great, but they they are all fantastic musicians. I mean, Alina Ibragimova, I think, is one of the most interesting young violinists around at the moment. I heard her first when she was sixteen, um, absolutely playing the living daylights out of the Sibelius Violin Concerto in a masterclass with Maxim Vengerov, and I thought, my goodness, this girl is incredible. She's going to be a big star, which obviously she is now. Um Nikki Benedetti is one of the most um articulate and impassioned spokespeople for music education in Britain, so she you know she looks great, she plays great, but also she has that willingness to speak up and take that viewpoint um,
0: she apparently told a British newspaper that it really pisses her off when people attribute the rise of great female violinists to the sex sells classical music thing. Do you think good-looking artists like Nicola Benedetti have to work that much harder to prove their musical merits? I see Jessica had nodding her head.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree completely. I I think there's a a sort of inherent prejudice quite often among a certain demographic of the audience which would probably be rather older and would probably be male.
2: I mean, I think also, though, and to what you were saying as well, Jessica, uh, you know, if you are good looking and good looks and sex appeal are two very different things where, you know, you look at Marta Argerich and, you know, at this point, nobody's going to confuse her as a supermodel, but she still plays with, you know, a fire that to me equates to sex appeal. So just to separate those two things. But I mean, if you're born extremely good looking, then, you know, that is ultimately a marketing tool, in a sense, in the same way that if you're born with, you know, incredible backstory or you're born with an incredible charisma or, you know, you have a family that's worth a billion dollars. These are all things that can, if used properly, contribute to success in your career. But they should never, in a sense, be the focus to the extent where it detracts from the music.
0: Well, for the flip side, Jessica Duchenne, the article I mentioned before, you wrote that a young woman soloist can be the finest pianist on earth but will get nowhere unless she also looks good. And if she puts on weight, she sinks. A man of equivalent skill can reach the top if he resembles a bear. So would a young female yeah. pianist who looks like Radu Lupu have a career today?
1: I believe not. I've heard some fantastic female pianists who either might be overweight a little bit, or they just don't happen to look like supermodels, or they refuse to play the glamour card, even if they possibly could. And they don't have the careers they deserve. They literally do not. I think pianists are perhaps facing a different situation from violinists, because the vogue among pianists at the moment is for very intellectual, sensitive, intense young men. Those are the ones who are selling the best. And all the... Really fantastic young female pianists I can think of um, are ones who are being sold on their looks and don't necessarily deliver the goods when it comes to the actual playing, I'm afraid. Well,
0: I guess I I I could ask the same question about men. What a young male pianist who looks like Radu Lupu have a career today. I think
1: he would. I think if he played like Roger Luther he sure would have a career. And I can think of plenty of male soloists who look like they've been dragged through a hedge backwards and have fantastic careers. And this applies to people of, of many different ages, including the young ones. Well, there does seem
0: to be a new crop of rugged young male I mean, guitarists out thing, there right? who are, you know, they, they've they got square jaws and, and great, I mean, winning personalities. They also play very well, but it is another whole genre.
1: And some of them actually do not play that well, I'm afraid. <laughs> I can think of two or three who I wouldn't cross the road to hear.
0: Do you <laughs> want to so name any good. names or do you not I'm want not to go there? i not
1: to name any names. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would I would agree with you, Jessica Duchenne, in that sex appeal certainly can allow success to be amplified to a greater scale than, you know, if you have it than if you don't. But I would say it might be a bit of a oversimplification to say that, you know, it's, you know, one of the main marketing things. Because it's also, I mean, you have a lot of extremely good-looking musicians who, you know, have failed.
0: Jessica Hadler, if an orchestra or a concert presenter is presented with two equally accomplished musicians from an artistic standpoint. Do you think that the more attractive one is going to have the edge getting the contract?
3: Probably, but certainly playing alone is... I mean, you have to have something else. Is there any kind of sense
0: of having to keep up with Yuja Wang, who is a fabulous pianist and also wears fabulous miniskirts and gets reviewed for both of them?
3: Well, I think... I mean, maybe yes, but I think that most people either can't or aren't interested in doing that and just is a unique personality so I think um, everyone each artist needs to sort of find like what what's authentic to them and what they're about that they can promote.
2: Yeah I mean I think that there are really many many things that go into how an artist is perceived by the public by presenters by media etc and some of it is you know It can be anything from, you know, do you have great facial structure? Do you have a a sex appeal? Even if you're not good looking, do you dress really well? Do you have an interesting story about you? Do you have an interesting story about the program you're presenting? Do you have great social media? I mean, there are manifold things. And marketing, to create a marketing or a publicity story around an artist is to take those elements the elements within that mix that that create an actual whole full-blooded person and pick the ones that in a sense support their music because you know to me all the elements of the marketing should support what is the core product i use in quotes here which is
1: the music yeah, that they create you're the complete package really aren't you well, I think that's, that's what that's really yeah really has everything do
0: you think there's any expectation on the part of younger audiences coming to classical music who are used to pop stars like Lady Gaga and what they wear on stage that the soloists at classical concerts are also going to dress like that?
3: So I don't think people are walking in with a preconceived no- notion necessarily that, you know, I want to see...
0: But do you think artists might feel some of that pressure? Perform- I think
3: artists certainly feel pressure to look attractive, sure. I mean, that's...
2: I would, I would say that it's important to split, to, to you know, talk about two different markets in a the sense there, where you have the people who listen only to Lady Gaga, the sort of top 40 fan base. And frankly, they don't come to classical music very often. And when they do, they want the person to look like Lady Gaga. You know, they want the Charlie Seams of the world, et cetera. But to me, that has never been a core audience that I've ever focused on. Because even if you get them there, you know, unless you have a Fifty Shades of Grey type hook, they're not going to care and they're not going to stick around. The ones, you know, the people who listen to Bjork, the people who listen to, you know, Boney Vare, they're the ones. Those are the people who can come to a classical music concert. And it doesn't matter if the performer is, you know, six foot two wearing Armani. Like, what they want is an experience, and they want to feel a connection to the performer and to the music. And they're much more open-minded. But if they feel that they are being crassly marketed to, like if I tell them, beautiful person, like you should love them because they're beautiful, they turn off immediately. And I've seen that in in things we've done.
0: What's the view from England?
1: I'm not aware of people expecting classical musicians to look like pop stars or dress like pop stars or behave like them. But I I do think there's a, a slight irritation when it comes to the traditional evening suit the penguin suit I yeah. be quite, okay. here too would be quite yes. nice if they found a different type of orchestral uniform that looks good on everybody to replace that with in due course
0: but and it's they're proving defin- quite
1: elusive because this has been going on for a very long time
0: now they're doing that I think in Baltimore Marin Alsop has been yeah. definitely working on that in, in Baltimore Jessica Heather are there female performers you think who feel pressure to sort of keep up with the u and wear provocative clothing that they wouldn't normally have considered? And on the flip side, do you ever get complaints from presenters about something that an artist has walked out on stage in? You don't have to name names? Yes,
3: I mean, certainly, but not... uh, I don't think because it was too provocative or something like that, but we've actually had complaints before from presenters who are more conservative and wanted the tales, for example, and a soloist came in something a bit more contemporary. So yeah. that definitely happens.
0: One of you mentioned Martha Argerich, who is 74, and of course we've got Mitsuko Uchida, also over 60. Where are the over 60 violinists these days, female violinists?
1: It's Ida Hendel, who is, um, well, she keeps her age very closely guarded, but she's well over 80, but she is possibly the only one of that generation. And it it is very interesting when you think that what somebody does at 50 or 60 is probably going to be a lot more interesting and mature and insightful musically than what somebody does at 22. Um, It does seem to me as if age kind of weeds out the, the sheep and the goats, if you like, the real musicians, the ones who have enough substance Withstand all the onslaughts that the years bring and that these these marketing things bring to them. Um, those are the ones who are going to come through, but uh, there are there are remarkably few of them, and I find that quite a disturbing thought as well.
0: Well, certainly Anna Sophie Mutter would fall into the category of raging intellect and mm-hmm. um, an early strapless gown adopter, but you know, with the mental firepower and the musicality that nobody could ever question. Her straplessness.
1: Well, and she wears amazing gowns, yeah. and she she can play the living daylight out, out of any piece she happens to choose.
2: I think that's a really good point, Jessica Duchenne, that you just made, though, how, you know, the idea of age separating the wheat from the chaff. And, you know, even when an artist is marketed, heavily marketed as, you know, a beautiful, you know, hot young thing, like, time does separate that, and it does... If if the playing does not match up to the marketing and the hype, then those people do not have sustained careers because at the end of the day, it's you know the core of this is the music. And if you can't deliver on that front, it doesn't matter what else you can deliver on.
1: I can think of a few female musicians who've actually come to greater prominence and greater recognition after the age of about 55 than they had in their youth. I find that quite an interesting phenomenon as well. There's a kind of grand dam thing that kicks in. and um, I, I guess that means there's, there's still hope. But, yeah, again, it's not that many of them.
0: I guess we can say, then, that deep down the musicality is the bottom line, and we can all be grateful for that. Thank you all for joining us. Thank, Thank you.
3: Thank
0: you. I've been speaking with Unison Media's Andrew Owsley, journalist Jessica Duchenne on the line from London, and Concert Artist Guild's Jessica Hadler here in the studio. Brian Wise is our producer. I'm Naomi Lewin. Thanks for listening.